You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. It's time for the ultimate showdown. The moment we've all been waiting for. Our listeners sent in over 100 debate topics to choose from. We narrowed it down to 10. You voted and chose. Fire versus lasers. Which is cooler? Fire or lasers? Do you think you've made up your mind already? You ain't heard nothing yet. Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from NPR News and Southern California Public Radio. I'm Molly Bloom. Being a fair, impartial debate moderator and judge is tricky. So to help co-host this episode, we have asked back Sophia Chu. Hello, Sophia. Hello. Sophia helped moderate our debate about cats. Are they evil or just misunderstood? And she proved herself a real diplomat. So we are very glad she's here to help us with our next debate. Fire versus lasers. Let's get right to it. Representing Team Laser is producer Sandin Totten. Hey, everybody. And representing Team Fire is Mark Sanchez. Crackle, crackle, crackle. Hello. We're going to hear Mark and Sandin's arguments in just a minute, but we also asked our listeners to write in to tell us which they thought was cooler and why. We're going to hear some of their reasons throughout the show. And for some reason coming into this, Mark, you thought Fire was going to be the underdog, but I have to say the votes that we've gotten have been remarkably split so far. This is a close one. Hi, Brandon. This is Ibni from Bangalore, India. I like fire better because it is useful for cooking, camping, heating water, etc. Bye! My name is Isaac from Duluth, Minnesota. I like lasers better because they can be focused on one thing, but fire might spread. (laughs) We've asked Mark and Sandin to prepare opening statements. We flipped a coin to see who's first. Mark, you're up. First off, I want to thank the moderators for having me here. Thank you very much, Sophia. Thank you, Molly. And thank you, Brains On listeners. (laughs) Fire, at least in its natural state, has been around forever. Lasers are like the new kid on the block. And I know it's easy to be dazzled by all the cool things lasers promise. But I'm here to tell you that fire will be here long after we stop chasing lasers around like kittens in the living room. Before I lay out my case, let's just be crystal clear. Fire can be very dangerous. You should always, 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 how often people? Always. Use caution when fire is part of the equation. You have to ask an adult to either help you or at least be around when you're learning about fire. With such an ominous warning, I get it. It's easy to see why fire gets such a bad rap. But I don't think fire is all that bad. What fire needs is a shift in thought, a pivot, an image makeover. We only think of it in terms of evil and destruction, but it has been and continues to be enormously helpful in stuff we take for granted. For starters, hot food. Anyone here eat a hot meal in the last day or hour? Fire most certainly had something to do with cooking it. Uh, How about staying warm? Yeah, heat, heat, people. Unlike lasers, heat is kind of important to, I don't know, survival. And let's not forget light. Have you ever wanted to see at night? (laughs) I mean, before the light bulb, torches lit the way for centuries. You have fire to thank for that. 
Over the course of this episode, I intend to lay out a clear path that shows fire is superior to lasers. Thank you, and thank fire. Thank you, Mark. Sandin, let's hear your opening statement. I shall begin. Thank you. First of all, the word laser is just really cool to say. Come on, laser. Say it. See for yourself. Laser. Laser. It's pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Right? Sure, lasers, yeah, they're not as old as fire. I get it. They've only been around since the 1960s. But we've been dreaming about powerful beams and ray guns for a lot longer than that. And you know what? Now that we have them, lasers totally live up to the hype. Okay, so at its core, a laser is an intense, very narrow beam of light, which, you know, sounds simple. But the number of things we can do with lasers is mind-boggling. They can be used in medicine to help with tricky surgeries. They can be used in manufacturing to cut certain things and weld other things together. They are in your CD players and in your DVD players. They can be used for laser light shows, for laser tag. There's even a laser on NASA's Curiosity rover on Mars. All this, and we're only starting to scratch the surface of what a laser can do. People are coming up with new ways to use them all the time. These are like real, literal, bright ideas. And while fire is neat, it's also super hard to control. Lasers are the opposite. They are a perfect example of something precise and very controllable. Now, a note of caution, lasers are also very powerful, and they can injure the eye or even cause blindness. So be very careful around them. Still, when used safely, lasers are pretty amazing. We can use them to tickle an atom or blast a hole in something. So people, join me on Team Laser, and we'll beam into a brighter, better future. Well done, Sandin. Let's hear what our listeners had to say. Hello, I am Lauren from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I think lasers are better because they are light that can cut through things. I'm Catherine from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I think fire is better because its colors are more fascinating. On to the first round. We're calling it What the What? Sandin, you're up. So to explain the way lasers work, I thought it would best if we went to the source itself. So I'm going to take us on a tour of a magical place called Laser World, where lasers are made. Let's listen in. Welcome to Laser World, everyone. Please keep your hands and legs inside the tram at all times. We are about to get moving. Any questions? Can we feed the lasers? What? No, that's that's impossible. Where did you even hear? Uh, I want to touch the lasers. No, definitely not that. No touching. Can I take a selfie with a laser? You know what? Enough questions. Let's just get going. Fun fact, laser is an acronym. It stands for Light Amplification by Stimulated Emission of Radiation. Uh, that's not fun. Yes, it is. Okay, look to your left. There's a special guest, Theodore Maiman. He invented the first laser in 1960. Hello, my laser used a ruby rod to make a deep red beam of light. Pew, pew. Whoa. Next, we are entering the Laser Hall of Fame. Here you get to see all the important inventions we rely on that use laser technology. Ooh, like ray guns. Zap, you're toast. Well, actually, some researchers are working on laser weapons, but they are still in the early stages of development, and we'd rather focus on some of the less destructive uses of lasers. Oh man, then what do lasers do? Well, if you'd let me continue the tour, here's the scanner from your grocery store. It uses lasers to read barcodes. Oh. 
CD and DVD players use lasers to scan for tiny bumps coded in a disc and translate those into sounds or images. And over here, we have a laser light show. Those colors would make an amazing Instagram filter. And perhaps the most important use of a laser, making your cat chase that little red glowing dot. Oops, looks like someone has a mess to clean up. Uh, quick question. Can I feed the cat? Seriously? Like, what, do you just have too much food? Leave the cat. Let's move on. Next, we are going to see how a laser is made. To do that, we need to shrink down to the size of an atom. Are you ready? Do we have a choice? Nope. Here we go. Status update? Feeling tiny. Here we are entering a laser chamber. Check it out. Location update. Some kind of glass tube? How do I tag myself on this? That's right. This one is filled with gas, but some lasers use solids, like the ruby mentioned earlier, and others use liquids. The gas is getting charged with energy from a flashbulb. As the gas gets charged, electrons in the gas atoms get excited and enter a higher state of energy. Let's listen in. That's the light powering up the electrons. Whoa. So much energy. This happens to electrons all throughout the gas. The key for a laser is to have the majority of the atoms reach this heightened state. Whoa, so much energy. Now as the electrons lose that energy and return to their normal state, they release a packet of light called a photon. Calming down now. There goes a photon. This happens all over in the gas. Calming down now. Calming down There goes a photon. There goes a photon. And interestingly enough, as that photon passes by another highly energized electron, it could trigger that electron to calm down and release another photon as well. Wow, that's a lot of photons flying around. Exactly. That's kind of how a light bulb works. Scattering light willy-nilly in all different directions and what have you. Well, what makes a laser so special then? What makes a laser special is that first, All those photons are coherent, meaning they are in sync with each other, and they are monochromatic, meaning they are all the same color. Light bulbs cast light with a broad spectrum of colors that together look white. Huh. Hashtag the more you know. Second, those photons are trapped by two mirrors on either side of this tube, see? A mirror? Really? Let me check my lipstick. Leave this tram and I will end you. Where was I? Oh yeah. The photons are trapped in the chamber by mirrors. Some photons escape through the sides of the tube, but those trapped between the two mirrors go back and forth. That amplifies the light beam. But here's the secret to a laser. One mirror is slightly see-through, so a small number of photons can escape through it, exiting the laser chamber as a sweet, pure beam of laser light. See how it's beaming out that end of this tube? So a laser is made by energizing electrons, so they shoot out photons. Then a reflective surface traps and amplifies those photons while letting some escape out as a steady beam. Amazing! Quick question, though. Can I feed? No! Whatever it is, you can't feed it. Just let's end this tour. Thank you for visiting Laser World. Come back anytime. Just not when I'm working, please. Brains Now, Mark. To know fire is to love fire. But first, what is fire? Quite simply, fire is a chemical reaction that gives off heat. Every fire has three ingredients, heat, fuel, and oxygen. We've said it before, 
and the same applies in this episode. Everything around us is made up of atoms. Fried chicken, atoms. Leaves on a tree, atoms. Even the oxygen we breathe is made up of atoms. Now, oxygen is a gas, and under normal conditions, its atoms are just kind of bouncing off each other. But when heat is introduced, look out. Heat excites atoms, which means a lot more bouncing off each other. The higher the heat, the faster the atoms move. Put that heat source next to the fuel of, say, the hydrogen and carbon atoms of the wax on a candle wick, and those atoms start bouncing around too. In fact, they start moving so much that they change from a solid to a gas. They vaporize. And that is called pyrolysis, when the fuel turns into a gas. Now we have oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon gas atoms all coming together, and still very excited. When these atoms mingle and rearrange, they give off blue light. I'm guessing you've all seen a burning candle. If you look at the bottom part of the wick, you'll see the flame is blue. But what makes the other colors, the red and orange and yellow? Soot! tight. <laughs> Thank you. But that wasn't a sneeze. Soot is the answer. Soot is what makes the rest of the flame glow those red, orange, and yellow colors. Instead of bonding with the oxygen atoms, some of the carbon atoms come together with each other and form soot. Think of it like a piece of charcoal, except really, really microscopically tiny. Charcoal bricks glow when they're heated. So does lava from a volcano. And so does soot. These glowing pieces of soot rise up, because heat rises, into a nice kind of conical flame we see when we look at a candle. And that, my friends, is fire. Okay, now on to the second round of the fire versus lasers debate. It's time for mystery sounds. I have a mystery sound for each of you related to fire for you, Mark, and lasers for you, Sandin. Mark, here is your mystery sound. Any guesses? It's pretty hypnotic, so I might have uh, zoned out a bit there. But... So, I mean, Sophia, you can help him, too. He might need your Yeah, what, what do you think it is? What does it sound like to you, Sophia? It sounded slightly like a generator of some sort. Ooh, I like that word. I couldn't think of a good description. But, yeah, generator, um, definitely something mechanical. Um, I'm going to go with a giant stove. Okay. We'll let you stew on that for a bit. Sandin, here is your mystery sound. Bring it on. Any guesses? Uh, I picture somebody at like one of those firing rifle ranges and they're like shooting like a, a clay disc gun and they shoot the disc. Sophia, do you have any guesses? Um, it did sound like a firing range. Did you hear people mumbling in the background too, Sophia? Yeah. What was that about? I have no clue what it could be. <laughs> Didn't they know we were recording a mystery sound? <laughs> well, I think we need to build a little suspense here, so we're going to be back with the answers in just a bit. Do you have a mystery sound to share with us? Or a question you'd like to hear answered on the show? Or maybe you just want to send a high five or a drawing? 
Email them to us at brainson at m as in Minnesota, pr.org. You can also send us actual mail. You can find the address at our website, brainson.org. And while you're there, you can also listen to all of our past episodes and sign up for our newsletter. And in order to say thank you to all the kids who write to us with their ideas, suggestions, and curiosity, we created the Brains Honor Roll. If you've written to us, we will get to you, we promise, but we're hearing from so many of you that there's a bit of a wait. So thank you for your patience. Hannah and Noah from Aviano Air Base in Italy, Huck and Lily from Madison, Wisconsin, Gabe from St. Louis Park, Minnesota, Olivia from Chesapeake, Virginia, Kaimana from Eugene, Oregon, Zach from Sydney, Australia, Dakota from Mobile, Alabama, Adrian from Mililani, Hawaii, Avril and Victor from Berkeley, California, Eli and Lee from Houston, Caitlin and Holly from Redmond, Washington, Alec from St. Augustine, Florida, Valen from Olympia, Washington, Deirdre from Cleveland, Tennessee, Maya from Tacoma Park, Maryland, Titus, Sophia, and Logan from Spruce Grove, Alberta, Max from Calgary, Julia and Lana from St. Louis, Francisco and Alfonso from Ohio. Haka, Mexico, Aniela from Philadelphia, Annabelle from Ithaca, Lily and Will from Grand Ledge, Michigan, Mary from Lake Oswego, Oregon, Silas and Jude from Morgantown, West Virginia, Bryn from Mississauga, Ontario, Olive from Garland, Texas, Zachary and Marcus from New York City, Henry from Minneapolis, Sierra from Paonia, Colorado, Samantha from Silver Spring, Maryland, Milo from Chicago, Ellen from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, Nelson and Steele from Charlotte, Francesca and Rebecca from White Plains, New York, Ellie from Raleigh, North Carolina, Katie from South Riding, Virginia, Eric and Jack from Pristina, Kosovo, Madeline from Cornwall, New York, Tristan from San Diego, Cadence and Emmett from Ventura, California, Alex from Pittsburgh, Oliver and Nico from Foothill Ranch, California, Shiloh from Cape Town, South Africa, Claire and Bed from Jackson Heights, New York, and Griffin from Chicago. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in our email newsletter course. You can start whenever and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. You're listening to Brains On from NPR News and Southern California Public Radio. I'm Sophia Chu. And I'm Molly Bloom. And I'm Sandin Totten for Lasers. And I'm Mark Sanchez, Team Fire. Sophia, in your opinion, who is winning the debate so far? Um, There's candy in it for Team Fire. No pressure. (laughs) I think it's tied for right now because you both have really good points. That is very diplomatic. (laughs) That's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, we're shaking hands on the outside. But <laughs> wait for but wait boxing for the next gloves. round, Mark. <laughs> boxing gloves are coming on, I think. Well, let's see if this next round changes your mind. It's the lightning round. Lightning. Your coolest facts about fire and lasers. Ready, set, go. Fire is good for the brain. It's thought that around two million years ago, Homo erectus, our early ancestors, learned how to harness and reproduce fire. Archaeologists like John Gowlett of the University of Liverpool think that this set Homo erectus on a path to productivity. For the first time, we could see after the sun went down. That is a textbook example of a game changer. Instead of going to sleep when the sun went down, Homo erectus had the chance to think and develop its brain. And while we're still on the subject of fires and brains, you have to admit that there's pretty much nothing better than sitting around a campfire and staring at it. It's super relaxing and meditative. Our early ancestors thought so too. 
Matt Rossano, a psychologist at the University of Louisiana, thinks that getting into a meditative state helped enable the brain to think more and be less reactionary. Instead of being freaked out by a predator jumping from behind a bush, we now have the headspace to make plans for that kind of thing in advance. Lightning. Lasers may just be light, but that doesn't mean they're lightweights. See what I did there? See, see? When it comes to slicing and dicing, lasers are used to cut all kinds of things, including sheets of metal. So how does a light slice something as hard as metal? Great question. It has to do with the intensity of the laser. You see, the laser doesn't cut the metal so much as it melts away or evaporates a very small sliver of it. You take a high-powered beam and tightly focus it on metal to make this happen. It's sort of like how you can take a magnifying glass and tightly focus sunlight to burn a leaf or a piece of paper. That's kind of how laser cutting works. And this helps companies and inventors that need to make very precise cuts in tough materials do that so that they can create cool new things and invent awesome stuff and basically change the world. So thanks, lasers. Lightning. Fires help keep forests healthy. To illustrate this point, I'm going to bring in a couple familiar voices. Follow me back, won't you, to the not-so-distant past. It's from the episode we did about trees. Where I am in California, we have lots of forest fires. But here's the thing. In some ways, forest fires are actually good for the forest. Some trees actually need a forest fire to help them reproduce. There you have it. Sand and Totten arguing in what? favor of fire. Uh, uh, can we hear a little bit of that again? Can we, can we hear a little bit of that again? In some ways, forest fires are actually good for the forest. I never thought I'd be saying this in a debate, but my opponent is absolutely right. I can't argue with that guy. He's so <laughs> well-spoken and <laughs> smart. There are trees that depend on fire to open up their seeds. Sarah McAllister studies how forest fires work at the Missoula State Fire Sciences Lab, and she told me about the longleaf pine that starts out looking like a piece of grass. That will sit there for a few years until a fire comes and actually clears the forest of all of its competition. But it also kills a particular fungus that will actually damage the tree if it tries to kind of keep growing before a fire. So once a fire comes and kind of clears the path, these trees will shoot up like five feet in a year and turn from little clumps of grass into big, tall trees. These trees are vital parts of the forest's ecosystem. Not to mention, they give off oxygen so we can, you know, breathe. Lightning. So that was a pretty clever trick, Mark, using me against myself. But you know another cool trick? Using lasers as tweezers. The idea of laser tweezers is actually kind of simple and still very cool. So imagine you have something like a protein you want to research. These are really important parts of humans and lots of things, but they tend to be all folded up. So how do you unfold this protein? Well, your fingers are way too clumsy and way too big to try that yourself. So laser tweezers. Researchers can attach a tiny sphere to either end of the protein. Then, using a laser, they can zap that sphere and hold it in place with a laser beam. Then, they attach the other end of the protein to a slide and simply start pulling back away from the trapped sphere. It's like if you nailed one end of a slinky to a wall and then started walking in the other direction with the other end. Pretty soon, you've unslinked the slinky, you've uncurled it, and in the case of the protein with the laser tweezers, you've unfolded this tiny protein, and now you can study how it folds and what's inside it and all this great stuff thanks to lasers. Lightning. Fire was the original internet. Well, sort of. Some American Indian tribes used fire to communicate. 
These fiery messages could be read as far as 100 miles away. Chinese soldiers on the Great Wall of China also used smoke signals. They lit a mixture of saltpeter, sulfur, and wolf poop to signal to each other. And while it may not have smelled too good, they could send a message about 300 miles in just a few hours. And this was back in 900 BC. And hopefully you never find yourself lost in the woods, but if you do, and there's no GPS, and your cell phone's out of batteries, smoke signals and fire could save your life. Lightning. Here's a cool fact. Did you know there are mirrors on the moon? Seriously, in 1969, astronauts Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong first set foot on the moon. Pretty cool. A little while later, they left a bunch of mirrors. Why? So scientists on Earth could bounce lasers off the moon. That's right, bouncing lasers off the moon. That's just so cool. So basically, they would beam a laser at these lunar mirrors from the Earth, and the laser would hit the mirrors and bounce right back to where they came from. And by measuring how long it took for a pulse of this laser to go to the moon and back, scientists could calculate how far away the moon is with amazing accuracy. They've done it lots of times, and this has taught us all sorts of interesting things about the moon. For example, did you know the moon is slowly spiraling away from Earth at a rate of about 3.8 centimeters a year? Come back, moon. We love you. Once again, lasers are helping us learn all sorts of cool things about the universe. They rule. Lightning. Hello, I'm Noah from San Diego. I like lasers better. They are cool because they are made out of light and can start fires. My name is Andrew. I'm six years old. The reason I like firebend and lasers because lasers will just make a hole in the fire. The end. I am exhausted after that. I would say we should let you guys take a breather, but there's no time for that. Let's go back to the mystery sound. Who wants to go first? Maybe I should go first because Mark went first last time. Fair. Excellent. Let's hear your sound one more time. Any new guesses, Sandon? And I just want to say that there's like a little click in there, too. You might not have heard. Yeah, there's a click. There's a lot going on there I don't know. Sophia, what what are you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sticking with my rifle range okay. ex- idea. Maybe right. they're using a laser to target things with rifles. Well, here's Rob Fornasier. He'll let us know what it is. Brian is one of our relief pitchers out there. And when he's right and in fully in good shape in game competition, he'll throw anywhere from 90 to 93 miles an hour. But you can see he's just playing catch right here, and he's throwing about 50 to 55. That was 52 right there from Cody. 52 miles an hour. So that was University of Minnesota assistant baseball coach Rob Fornasier, and that was the sound of two of his pitchers playing catch indoors. And how does Whoa. he? Yes. And how does he know exactly how fast they're throwing the ball? That's where lasers come in. Did you hear that? That was that faint click between throws. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is Rob using a device called a speed gun to measure how fast the baseballs are moving. His device uses a microwave laser, which is also known as a maser. I did not know that word before researching this, but that's how he does it. That's (laughs) amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Oh. 
The sound of the sheep means we made a little mistake. I said this speed gun used masers, and that's not true. Masers are like lasers, but they use microwaves instead of visible light. There are speed guns that use microwaves, and there are speed guns that use lasers, but there aren't speed guns that use masers. This speed gun uses microwaves. Now back to the show. They also use it to measure throws from outfielders. That measures arm strength. And they also use it to measure what's called exit velocity. That's how fast the ball is moving when it leaves the bat after being hit. These speed guns first started to be used in baseball in the 1960s. Before that, they had a less exact way of knowing how fast pitchers could throw. They literally had a car that was driving at an X amount of speed down a long you know, road and they had a baseball player standing next to where the car would go, and the car maybe was going, let's say, at 70 miles an hour, and at the precise moment the car would pass the pitcher, he'd release the ball, and we'd see whether the car or the ball could pass the mark quicker. And so that's where they started to determine how fast balls were actually thrown. Wow, that's so cool. I always love learning more about America's favorite pastime, lasering. (laughs) (laughs) Cool it, cool it, Sandin. (laughs) Let's see how Mark does. Are there any little clicks that I need to be paying attention to? <laughs> there are no little clicks in there, sorry. <laughs> All right, so we've got generator. If I just say fire, do I get like half credit? Do I get half a point? I'm sorry, no. All right, well, I'm going to say an industrial stove. I'm going to stick with that. Okay, here is the answer. Hi, I'm Charlie Johnson. I'm the chef owner of Q Phonetic Barbecue. That was the sound of our smoker, the rotisserie on our smoker. We smoke all our meats in the smoker and it kind of looks like a big Ferris wheel and it goes around and that's the motor that makes the Ferris wheel go around and we use uh, logs, logs or split wood to smoke all our meat, hickory actually. Smoking adds flavor. Um, historically it um, preserves meat but we, we use it as a flavoring, kind of like some people use salt and pepper. but Classically, it was used to preserve food. There's a fire. We have a gas gas assist that helps light the wood. And then, uh, so then it has fans that blow on the wood to, uh, when it needs to get, when the smoker needs to get hotter to stoke the fire. Can I defer to the judges here? Because that, I mean. Uh, it's I know. a smoker, not a you, stove. You were very close. I mean, we should probably give you half credit. Yeah, I th- at, at least. At least. I think. Right? Because it, it is a, it is a kind of it's used for cooking device. Cooking. I, so I mean, you weren't stove. exact, but you were. Yeah, but it's fires. I mean, like I so know. much of it's cooking. You know, it's true. It's a tough one. It's a tough call. Alrighty, Mark, I'm done for half a point. Okay, Sophia gave him half a point. Our judge. <laughs> All right, good listening. Good listening, Mark. Okay. You know, so just like Mark talked about earlier, how fire is good for the brain. That also goes for harnessing fire to cook too. Our ancestors were able to get more calories and more nutrition from cooked food than they were from raw food, and this helped their brains to get bigger and to spend less time searching for food and then chewing it. Brains on. Time for our final round. We're calling it Coming Soon. Sandin, you first. Well, we all know fire is a great source of energy. Sure, I'll give it that. But what if I told you lasers might help us create an even better source of energy, an unlimited 
clean form of sustainable energy. I'm listening. I spoke with Dr. Kate Lancaster. She's with the University of York at their Plasma Institute, and she's working on a project to do this very thing. So my specialty is what is called laser plasma physics. So it's taking some of the world's most powerful lasers and and firing them at a piece of material until basically all the atoms fall apart. Um, and one of the purposes of doing that is to try and make miniature stars. Wait, did she just say miniature stars? Yeah, a star, like our sun, but tiny and here on Earth. This idea is called nuclear fusion power, and if we could pull it off, it would solve so many of our energy problems without adding a ton of pollution. You see, the sun is like a very hot, energy-producing machine. If we could harness even a piece of that here on Earth, we'd be able to power... Well, pretty much everything. Sure, but how would we do that? Kate says we'd need to recreate the reactions happening in the sun here on Earth in a highly controlled environment. So to do that, her team takes two kinds of hydrogen and forms them into small pellets of fuel. To make that pellet turn into a tiny star, they need to make it very dense and very hot, just like our sun. That will create a reaction where the helium is converted to hydrogen and gives off lots of energy in the process. So the team, they make this hydrogen pellet and then they take it to a specialized laser firing room to make that happen. So there's a tiny little ball bearing sized pellet in the middle of this huge chamber that looks like the Death Star from Star Wars. And 192 beams come in from all angles. And essentially what happens when you do that is the lasers, when they shine on the fuel, they can heat up an outer layer of the fuel, which flies away very rapidly. And this helps compress it. See, when that outer layer flies away, it actually pushes back on the rest of the pellet in the opposite direction. This is a basic law of physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's kind of like the air coming out of the back of a balloon. The balloon has to go in the opposite direction. So if you do that all round a sphere, an outer layer of the sphere flies away, caused by the lasers, and then the rest of the fuel has to move into the center and be very, very dense and small. And then it needs to get hot. And she means like really hot, like 150 million degrees centigrade hot. Luckily, lasers can help here too, because when they smack this pellet of fuel, it creates a shockwave. And that shockwave is full of energy. And since that energy has nowhere to go but into the pellet, it converts into heat. And that raises the temperature of this tiny little pellet. So there you have it. To make nuclear fusion, you basically need to get a fuel pellet very dense and very hot. That will kick off a reaction like the one in our sun that produces lots of energy. Lasers can help you do both things by compressing the fuel and by heating it up. Pretty cool. So how far along is this technology, Sandin? Can we use it to power our cities soon? Well, it's still in the early stages of development. This idea of nuclear fusion, of harnessing the power of a star right here on Earth, it's, it's been around for decades. But it's, it's really complicated, and it needs to be very precise to work. No one has mastered it yet. So Kate Lancaster says part of the problem is that we need high-energy lasers that can fire many times a second. And we don't have those yet, but we're working on them. And fusion power is so promising, it could solve so many of our energy problems. It doesn't pollute like gas or coal. Once it's working, it's practically limitless. So because of all this, researchers keep trying to get it right. We're a number of decades away from putting any kind of electricity on the grid, which is... Which is uh, Precisely why we need any budding scientists or engineers listening right now to help us, because 
you know, I'm going to get old and people like me are going to get old. We're going to need new people to help us work on this stuff. So. <laughs> so it might be far off, but one day lasers could help power the world. And that's pretty awesome. Mark, your last chance. The mic is yours. It's hard to compete with powering the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> powering the world is one thing, but let's have a little fun, shall we? Our planet has had a relationship with fire since the beginning of time. So there's no doubt it will be here for years to come. But what's next? If you've ever been to an amusement park, watched the big game, or celebrated your patriotic heart out, then you've probably seen a fireworks show. People first started using these colorful, loud bursts of fire around 2,000 years ago in China. And over the years, we've grown accustomed to bigger and better shows. John Conkling is a chemist and has helped fireworks manufacturers push the field into a new era. It's not your grandfather's fireworks anymore where everybody goes out and sits on a little hill and they shoot some up in the air, bang, 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 ooh, ah, and that's the end of it. As a chemist, John helps fireworks manufacturers mix a secret sauce of chemicals to come up with cool new colors. Well, sodium uh, makes a yellow-orange color. Uh, copper compounds can make a blue color. Uh, strontium, which is not one of your everyday elements, but it will produce a beautiful red color. The fireworks that we see in the sky look a lot different than what you're used to seeing at a roadside stand. Each colorful burst starts out as a spherical casing that's a little bigger than a softball. Inside the casing are a few stages of gunpowder. The first is on the bottom, with a fuse sticking out. The casing is stuffed into a tube, then the fuse is lit. The gunpowder ignites and explodes the first stage, launching everything up into the air. The explosion also lights another fuse inside the casing that's attached to even more gunpowder. A few seconds later, when the casing is high in the sky, stage two explodes and ignites little pellets full of chemicals that have been meticulously laid out in a pattern. The Chinese developed a lot of what are called pattern shells that will burst as a five-pointed star or a smiling happy face. You can produce letters up in the sky. By this good engineering, it's how you package the pellets of color composition into the fireworks casing. And if you do it uh, very, very carefully, lots of trial and error, you can actually get that firework to explode up in the air and those pellets will go out and hold the pattern you're trying to create. And that's really the, the newest thing in, in fireworks. John says that if you really want to wow a crowd these days, you have to play on their emotions. You have your basic bang-bang fireworks, and then you have these pattern shells that he was talking about. But throw in a sound system and people go bananas. Any of the more major shows today, I mean, they're, they're really uh, multimedia presentations. Uh, the lasers sometimes, I mean, you can add all sorts of stuff into them. Wait, 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 wait. Did he just say lasers? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. Lasers may play a part in fire's future, but it's a small part. Teensy. There's really nothing quite like the sensory experience of fireworks. When that firework launches into the air, you get that whoomp, and everybody's pulse starts uh, beating a little faster, and then up in the sky, boom, you can feel that shockwave. And that's what makes fireworks, I think, that trumps uh, lasers. And there you have it. Mic drop. Hashtag end of story. Fire forever. I'm out. Wow. That is a lot to ponder. Sophia, do you think you can declare a winner after all of this? Well, I've been tallying points, and Mark won by half a point. Was that mystery <laughs> sound? He won the by mystery the mystery sound? sound? Oh, man. 
Mystery sounds a tiebreaker. I got a good set of ears. <laughs> wow. Wow. I got to hand it to you, though, Mark. That was well played. You used myself against myself, and you correctly identified half a mystery sound. That, that was good. <laughs> oh, Sir, man. Sandin, you were a truly worthy opponent, and I am deeply impressed by lasers, and especially the future of lasers. I have to say, I might be team lasers on this one. What? So this is a squeaker. I really want to hear what people say about this. Yeah, I'm Come interested. on over to the light side. Do you, our dear listeners, agree with the verdict? There's a poll at our website, brainson.org, where you can vote for the team that you think won, fire or lasers. Well, that's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. Many thanks to Veronica Rodriguez, Sam Chu, A. Martinez, Megan McCarty, Julian Burrell, Taylor Orsi, Sarah McAllister, and Eric Ringham. If you want to give us a shout-out, share your opinion, or get in touch with us, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Brains underscore on. Or if you're on Facebook, you can just search for us there. Search for Brains On. And this will not be our last bait. After all, I have to win one now that Mark just took the lead. So start thinking of more topics for us. We'll need them. If you're a fan of Brains On, consider leaving a review in iTunes. It really helps other kids and parents to find out about the show. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.